it is absolutely thus far it is the honor of my career because i got to put a character on the screen that would have been someone i needed growing up because i did not have any character in the media that i was consuming at the time that showed me that my identity was valid and real that's why people talk about representation that's why it matters Hello and welcome to The Awardist from Entertainment Weekly, taking you inside the year's top contenders for the Oscars and more of the industry's biggest awards. I'm Josh Rothkopf, EW's Senior Movies Editor, and I'm joined by my co-host, EW's Executive Editor, Clarissa Cruz. Hi, Clarissa. Hi, Josh. Good to see you. Nice to see you, too. So today we are talking about the Best Supporting Actress race, and now we can actually talk about things in a more crystallized fashion because the nominations came out and we know what we're dealing with. We know what the playing field is. Yeah. It's so nice to not be in this sort of free-floating zone of, of indecision. Who knows? There were so many people that we wished had made the bracket, and but now we have the final five here. Mm-hmm. I kind of like, you know what, though? I like the, the time when everyone's a winner. You know, like when everyone is like, everyone is like a prospective nominee or, you know, is on the bubble or may get in, may not, you know, like when it's kind of wide open and as the season goes on, it just gets smaller and smaller. And then now we have the nominees and the nominations. So uh, I'll go through the list. We have Jessie Buckley, who everyone heard the gaffes when when her name was called that was that was that was amazing right she was she was the very first name called yeah. at like five in the morning on pacific time yeah, everyone woke up and we knew we were in for some kind of a crazy ride that performance in the lost daughter that jesse buckley does i think is actually the the trickiest and toughest performance in the whole movie the film is about a mother who's unnatural at it not great at it and has this kind of estrangement with her daughters and she's played by Olivia Coleman and we see in flashback the moment when she was a young dissertation candidate I, I'm guessing and that character is played by Jesse Buckley and we see her becoming uh, increasingly frazzled and beaten down by two the pressures of being a mother to two young children and also her dreams of having success in her field as a as a comp lit academic scholar and rising star. And she gets encouragement from Peter Sarsgaard at a conference. And encouragement she, and she, more. <laughs> encouragement and more. She becomes unfaithful. And yeah. she, but she also, I think that the beats that Jesse Buckley is exploring in, in her scenes are actually, they're the most confrontational and the most difficult, I think, for, for audiences. And she pulls them off incredibly because on the surface of it, she's abandoning her family. But she also does it in a way that you you feel her dissatisfaction and you feel her pain and 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 Jesse's uh, really bringing us into those moments and and the euphoria of being on a trip away from the squalling kids and the husband <laughs> and you're ordering room service and you're and, and you're oh, learning with someone and it's I, I think anyone who's taken a business trip will resonate with this character to some degree. You hit it right on the head. Like I remember right after I saw this movie, you know, she's, she's on the business trip. She's like, I think she wants to order champagne and then she downgrades to like French fries or something. And, and I was just like, I feel seen. <laughs> this is me on like every shoot that I've gone away for. It's like just being able to have a quiet room to yourself and room mm-hmm. service and no, uh, you know, little voices needing your attention, um, which, which she captured very well in, in that scene. 
she's also she's also playing those moments with the kids in a way that is it's so hard to do those scenes where you have children yeah. who are yeah. who are saying don't go don't go and she is in one moment literally backing away towards the door and i mean that's <laughs> and that's you know i mean it's it, it's tough stuff and it also i think um it, it helps to enrich Dakota Johnson's performance, which is in a completely different timeline, but uh, Olivia Coleman, mm-hmm. the grown-up version of Jesse Buckley, is is watching another young mother on the beach, um, you know, maybe take tentative steps towards towards becoming what she is, and that's why she's remembering herself as a young Jesse Buckley. And so, the the performances all, I think, they they work together beautifully. It's 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 just a, such a well-oiled, calibrated, um, you know, mechanism. Yeah. This script, yeah. but. But Buckley is is doing, I think, the the toughest work in here because she, I guess, her character is the one that's most likely to be seen as un- unlikable right. and unsympathetic yeah. because she does the outright thing that that a mother is not supposed to do, and she's the meanest. She she breaks the toy, <laughs> she smashes a window. She's, I mean, I, hey, I totally, I'm not saying that I've done any of those things, but but I, I can see the where the urge comes from. Sure. I'm building this about fatherhood; it's his own genre when it comes to men. But you know, to see this on screen with women, I think is, is groundbreaking and, um, and important. Definitely, definitely important and, and, and definitely underseen. And when you think about Jesse Buckley's career, which is just getting started in a lot of ways, um, she's really explored a lot of different parts of, of the range. I mean, she's, she's been very sympathetic and understanding in, in, in Chernobyl. I think about, I'm thinking of ending things, the Charlie Kaufman, and and then oh, that movie freaked me out. Oh, totally freaking movie, I, right? <laughs> and then and then her Romeo so and Juliet, which she did. I mean, there's there's a lot that Jesse Buckley has done that's just shows that I think she's a real. Um, I think we'll be we'll be seeing a lot of Oscar nominations from her. I hope I'm not jinxing her right now. Yeah, no, she's great. But let's move on to the other nominees because there's four more. Let's talk about Judy Dench for her performance in Belfast. I mean, this was another one of us, another uh, surprise uh, because mm-hmm. all of the the heat had been on Katrina Belf yeah. uh, for playing Ma in that, but Judy, who plays the grandmother, is the one who came away with the nomination. And we talked a little bit about wh- why and the mechanics of how this happened. So let's talk about the performance, which I thought was amazing. I just thought that Katrina had a lock on this. I didn't really think about it that much. I mean, Judy Dench is a perennial Oscar nominee and an Oscar winner. And I, I think that her performance in Belfast is sweet and it adds a little bit of edge to it as well. All, almost all of her scenes are with Kieran Hines, another Oscar nominee who plays you know, her, her husband and she's the grandma. So she's supplying a sense of um, generational wholeness to Belfast. Um, and, and the idea that um, community is going to dissolve given the troubles and given what this family is going through. She carries the the final moments, I think, of the film as well uh, and sees her family depart. I feel like she's given she's gifted a lot of special moments in, in Belfast that I think make her performance feel larger and rounder. I wish she had a few more scenes, if I'm being completely honest. But watching Judy Dench do her work is never unfun you know i think that she's wonderful and she's also kind of tough on kieran hines in those moments in a sort of loving way that feels real it does it's not a super doting affectionate relationship so much as a real one based on years and years of bickering and so i i I resonate with that not that not to reveal (laughs) anything about my own marriage but it, it feels real to me yeah 
I agree. And I, I totally, I'm glad you reminded me of that ending scene because that was a heartbreaker. The one where she's just watching her family, her, the, her family, her life go. And, um, I feel like that's something that's sort of universal among grandparents because just because of the passage of time, you know, like your, 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 your children grow up, your, your grandchildren grow up. And, um, and, and then you're sort of watching them leave because people move or people go on or move on to, to other things and and just capturing that I think is was heartbreaking and and universal um, yeah and and I think that's that really resonated with with voters obviously it resonated with the voters and she never would have been nominated if Katrina had made this bracket I mean for we'll never know what happened with Katrina Balfe and if it was a question of category votes sp- splitting whatever but one thing is for sure is that if Katrina had made this bracket Judy Dench almost certainly wouldn't have so um happy happy to see her included in a character just simply called Granny you know <laughs> yeah yeah why don't we move on to another one of our favorites in this bracket mm-hmm. Kirsten Dunst who plays Rose in The Power of the Dog I feel like we've been talking about this performance now for months and it just, it doesn't get it. It just continues to grow for me. Doesn't that movie, isn't that kind of colonize your head? The yeah, power I, you know, I think I might have to rewatch it because yeah. I, I saw it so long ago. I'm very thankful I saw it on the big screen and I, I want to rewatch it because it does. That's a great way of putting it. Colonizes in your, in your mind because these characters are unforgettable. Um, and I think the pacing of that movie makes that happen even more because it's it's like, you know, you think about it, what happens? Um, it's more about each character's journey more mm. so than plot. Although there definitely is a plot. I don't want to make it seem like it's not like that, but it's but um but she was just amazing. Like and her range from the time that you meet her, first time you meet her, and what her demeanor was like, um, and then sort of how she changes as the movie goes on and responds to to the different um, forces in the movie, I think really show her range as an actress because you, you just see everything. And um, and that face, her face, I think you said it on earlier podcasts that her face looks is like a silent movie actress face. It is, right? It's so true. There is something about her that's very classical. For me, Kirsten Dunst has always sort of been almost expressly about a kind of vulnerability. She's a quiet sufferer and there are great there's a great tradition of that that goes all the way back to Greta Garbo right but but also actresses that are that are more modern as well someone like Meryl Streep I think is like that as well where you watch her in in The Virgin Suicides or uh, Marie Antoinette and I feel like Kirsten a lot of her work is happening on the inside that's why it was so fascinating talking to her about her process and that interview we ran in the prior podcast because she does a lot of work creatively and on the side and some some of it we don't even hear or see vocalized as uh, as viewers of the film that we're talking about but but she's she's the real deal she's an actor has a lot of chops and I I I'm shocked that she that this is the first time she's been Oscar nominated I think that she is deserving and if honestly if I had to pick one of these five people, I think it's. I think it would be Kirsten. I think that this is. This might be her year. I. Th- I think in terms of, of odds and chances, I think that she she might have this one in the bag. But um, let's go on to a fourth name. Um, another one of our favorites, Anjanu Ellis, for King Richard as the fiercely protective Orsine Price Williams. She definitely was a standout from the moment I saw that movie as well, um, and. It is that sort of quiet strength 
um, in a different way from what Kirsten's performance was like. I just think Ingenue, like, so steely, so fierce. And I think in our, I don't remember if it was in our cover story or a different piece, but just describing her role in that movie as like the backbone of the Williams family, because Mm -hmm. there are all these superstars. And then there's her larger than life husband, but she's the one that actually makes the family work um, because of her sort of steely strength. And I think backbone is just the right way to put it because without her, there would be no center. And I, and I think she, not just in that family, I think she feels like that in the movie. That's sort of like this, the strong center around which everything, you know, works because of that. Um, And if that's not, supporting actress material <laughs> i don't i don't know i don't know what is um, what do you think josh oh uh, definitely i mean uh, she's ennobling the film and making it more complex we've talked about that before i also i mean just to get a little extra textual and widen out here i'm really glad that she's in this category um because we we saw so much progress last year in terms of oscars and representation and obviously the supporting actress uh, oscar was won by by Yung Yung Jung for Minari, which was a historic first. Um, but but I really am glad that we have nominees and people like Anjanue Ellis who can continue that trend. I obviously wish there were more. So I actually think that this bracket is actually closer to what the bracket should look like. It's closer in terms of of age and representation and experience. And there's there's a real breadth here in diversity. It's not perfect but it's definitely closer to perfect. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, everything that you said, um, the diversity of race and age, and um, and that that's always a good thing. It could always be more. Um, I mean, I, I am. It's great that the that the best actor category has diversity as, as well. There have been a lot of strides in in recent years, but you know, there's always more work to be done. And any time that you see it, it's a good thing. But could always be more is, is, is my um, is my take on yeah. it. Um, but speaking of that, the fifth nominee, as much as I like Kirsten, I love that performance. Um, I think uh, this one, our guest on the podcast today is the front runner, Erin Bose in West Side Story. And luckily she sat down with us, uh, very exciting, with our awards editor, Jared Hall, uh, to talk about that performance. I feel like she's just had so much momentum uh, as, as soon as everyone saw that movie and there was a lot of heat on, on her. Um, and, you know, what, what do you think of that, Josh? I think this performance is just the perfect example of someone who steals a movie. You hear that phrase. She's just electrifying and pops off the screen. And, and West Side Story has, has had a bit of a rocky reception, not, in, not critically, but, but commercially. It, it, it's underperformed to, to some extent. And obviously that's, you know, not that's not an epitaph for it because I think it's a very worthwhile movie. And I was a skeptic, honestly. I think that the first one is fine. I don't even know why we needed a remake, but Spielberg had a vision for it and made something that justified its own existence. And if we're talking about the reasons why it justifies its existence, we start with Ariana DeBose, who is just, who supplies so much passion and, and brings that character to a darker place than we see in the 1961 West Side Story. Um, her Anita, I think, is is a definitive Anita um, among all the different performances on stage and screen. And we're talking about an Oscar winner as well with Rita Moreno. And I, I think that she really brings a lot of complexity to the film and grief and rage. 
the film became more interesting to me before her being in it. And I think it's also interesting that she is eclipsing to a large degree, uh, Rachel Zegler and Ansel Elgort. Again, this is just my take on it, but she's, she's the performance that people have gravitated to in terms of the film's reception. This is a good one. And she did a great job on SNL. That's actually another aspect of this that we haven't even figured out. It's so early in the race and it's so hard for us to make predictions. Any one of these people, I guess, with the exception of Ariana DeBose, could do an SNL or do more appearances or say something charming in person or do some interview that breaks out. And then all of a sudden they become the front runner. Like imagine if Kirsten Dunst hosts SNL. The whole calculus and the momentum of the race could change in the next month or so. So there's a lot of game time left, as they yeah. say. That's what makes it fun. I mean, that's why that's it's a campaign. It, it gives us something to talk about. Definitely something to talk about. And I know that Jared, when he sat down with Ariana, had a, a lot of interesting things to talk about. They, they spoke about her process. They spoke about being on set and working with Spielberg and the rest of the cast. And when we come back from the break, we will present that interview with Ariana DeBose. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Awardist. I am Entertainment Weekly Senior Awards Editor Jared Hall, and joining me today is a shining light of this award season, earning rave reviews and accolades already for her electric performance as Anita in Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Please welcome, give a big shout out, hello to Ariana DeBose. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> I, of course, really excited to be speaking with you because uh, this performance, I'm, I'm not just trying to like brown nose you or anything. This performance is so wildly memorable uh, this award season for so many reasons. This show, of course, is... Um, uh, the favorite of so many and the music is just so it it just Good. gets you in a certain mood a certain spirit and uh it, it's really it's truly unforgettable so congratulations on everything that has already come your way and more i'm sure that uh is on the way i have to ask though you know this is something that was supposed to be out more than a year ago december 2020 so in that very long <laughs> one year delay was it kind of like agony waiting for it to come out? Did it give you that time to think like, oh, I wish I had done this differently? Or were you just kind of like, <laughs> you know what? It's done. It's fine. Let be what is. You know, I think because we were forced into a waiting period as a result mm -hmm. of the pandemic, I, of course, it gave me a lot of time to think about a great many things. I um, <laughs> did a lot of thinking in the pandemic, mm -hmm. contemplated the yeah. meaning of life, et cetera, et cetera. But mm -hmm. I, I was lucky in that I, I did have other things I was working on. Um, mm. I made Schmigadoon during the pandemic. Yeah. We gave the prom to the world during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I, I actually got to work with uh, Gabriella Cowperthwaite on a film called ISS and a six hander where I don't sing or dance at all. So I'm, I was very <laughs> blessed to have my hands full of things to focus on, kept me distracted while I waited for yeah. the world to discover that I had actually made a movie with Steven Spielberg and hopefully mm -hmm. I hadn't ruined it. And, and I, Not and just a fun fact, I actually didn't see the film until August of 2020. Wow. So you, Oh, oh no, August of 21. Sorry. 21. 
guys, oh, oh, it's, August a, of 21. It's, a, Got it. it's a running, it's a running theme with me. <laughs> I never know what year it is. What, yeah, I get it. I trust me right there with you. But still, that was a long time once. I mean, considering you were supposed to be out eight months earlier to kind of sit and wait, were you like, hey, yeah. Steve, dude, where's my cut? Well, and it's so funny because Steven has such great love for this film. I swear, while we were making this movie, he just, he had the energy of a 12-year-old. And I was the one limping around. He's like running with joy and glee. And I'm just like, ow. Understandably. <laughs> but he loved the film so much. He he really kept yeah. it under wraps and took care of it. It was, he treated it like his baby. So we're, yeah. I'm, and I'm very proud of the way he handled everything too. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I feel like this is a question I could ask a thousand actors, you know, which director are you dying to work with? And I think all 1000 of them would say Steven Spielberg. So I guess really what I'm wondering from you is what were you hoping that experience would be like versus the reality of working with him? You know, hmm, I'm unclear as to what I was hoping for out of the experience of working with Steven Spielberg. Hmm. I don't know if I had any expectations. And that's just from the space of, I didn't even think I was going to get the job. <laughs> So after I got the job, I was like, I have no idea what is happening anymore. I'm just going to get on the ride. I think mm -hmm. specifically to Stephen, I watched that that great Spielberg documentary, and you 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 see different parts of his career, and you you learn about his anxiety while he was making mm -hmm. Jaws, and then yeah. you see some in real real-time footage while he was making Schindler's List. And there's a moment where he's giving a note to Liam Neeson and Liam's like, I don't know how to smoke. What's happening? And I was like, ooh, it's, <laughs> ooh, it's a line reading. Oh, no. And I was like, okay. So I'm just going to go in and, and be prepared for him to tell me exactly what he wants me to do and how he wants me to yeah. do it. And I'm just going to deliver because that is what is required for this director. Mm -hmm. And he blew my mind because he was just like, well, what do you want to do? And he let me run wild. He, the first thing mm. he did was sit me down and we had a conversation about trust. And I told him, I was like, sir, I have trust issues. He was like, well, that's not good. Cause <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's rethink this quickly. <laughs> let's rethink this quickly. And ultimately he just sort of eased my fears. He was like, I hired mm. you because you are my Anita. Mm -hmm. I trust you with mm -hmm. her. And I, I think it's the greatest gift that he gave me was to em empower mm -hmm. me to trust myself and mm -hmm. to, to invite me on the journey with him. He never once made mm -hmm. me feel like he was going to tell me what to do. And I just needed to get on board. You know, he was not yeah. a, a dictator in any, in any way. He was a collaborator and a partner. Yeah. So that's what I got out of it to answer your yeah, question. Yeah, I mean, and what more could you ask for, really? I mean, that's uh, kind of a dream situation. Which is also why I'm like, I don't know what to do after this because he was so great. <laughs> right. You're like, set the bar. How are we going to pass Whoa. that? Yeah, totally get it. Uh, I mean, you've worked with some pretty great people already in your career. So that's, uh, I mean, at just 31 years old, it's a pretty mm -hmm. remarkable accomplishment, the uh, kind of resume that you already have. Quick aside... On Jimmy Fallon on The Tonight Show, you mentioned the Pop-Tarts. Brown sugar cinnamon, <laughs> can we give it up? They're the number one flavor. They're I the mean, best. It, they're the best. Like, <laughs> seriously, if you're not eating that flavor, honestly, I don't know what you're doing. So, I'm right there with you. Okay, we got that out of the way. Um, <laughs> what have the 
past couple months been like? Because you've obviously been promoting the film, but then you've been receiving awards already along the way and more nominations and your fantastic SNL hosting debut. Um, I, I hope you're, you're just getting to take it all in. You know, the past couple of months, I've dedicated myself to breathing. I'm really good at breathing in for four and breathing out for four because it's how mm. I stay present. Um, yeah. If you if, honestly, here's a little secret. If you watch any interview and you don't see me actively breathe, I don't know that I'm there. <laughs> Anyways, but so if you take um, a few seconds here, I understand. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, it's been a whirlwind. It's yeah. it's everything I at one point in time said I wanted that I, you know, I believe in the power of manifestation. You know, mm -hmm. I was in. Atlanta, Georgia, doing Bring It On the Musical, and I was sitting on a couch with my friend Adrian Warren, and I was like, it's a full oh, moon Adrian. tonight. That's oh, great. like another just black girl yeah. magic. <laughs> she's such a queen. Um, she's incredible in Women of the Movement, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. The story of Mamie Till Mobley. So we were sitting on this couch, and I was with her, and I, um, I was like, it's full moon. Let's write down just like anything we would ever want to do if wishes were kittens. And I mm. kid you not just about everything I said I wanted, wanted to work towards or aspire to has already happened. And I mm. am blown away by it. Now that's not to say mm. I didn't have to work incredibly sure. hard and, mm. and learn a hefty amount of lessons along the way, but mm. I'm just astounded by the power of the universe. And I don't know, just the moment I'm in crazy. Yeah. Um, the next full moon, you better make a new list. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, the, the new year happened and I kid you not, Jared, I literally said to myself, it's time to make new goals. You have to make new goals. You, because I'm a different person. I've changed. I want different things. And, you, and yeah. then I, yeah. And I was like, all right, universe, what are we going to make together now? So I have so when people ask me like, what do you want to do next? I'm like, I don't know yet, but it's when I figure it out, it's going on my list. Um, <laughs> <Gotta> figure it <laughs> out. I'm New figure list that out. coming very soon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As I kind of said at the top there, your, your performance just, uh, every time you were on screen, I felt myself perk up a little more. I wanted to see the layers of what was going on here because Anita, there's a, I mean, of course, just an iconic character, an iconic show, but uh, there, there's something more to Anita here, which I feel like was all part of the, the script, I assume, or maybe it was part of those conversations when he said, what do you want to do? Um, but in particular, I've got to say, I, since watching the movie, I've gone back and watched that America dance several times. And mm -hmm. you can tell me if I'm wrong here. I feel like there's one thing to be, you know, like that close up and you're getting your moment, you're seeing or whatever, but that dance, there is something about that that just is kind of breathtaking. Um, and, and I don't know, was there, was there a different kind of mood or atmosphere or feeling on set those days than other days? Oh, I mean, I think the atmosphere on set was always extraordinary because it, we all were coming to work, but it was like going to theater camp. Mm. And Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner are your camp counselors. You know, and Justin Peck is, you know, mm. leading the craziest dance warm up of your life. Um, so we had the, the greatest time. I am, um, 
I feel like dance is, you know, I speak dance better than I speak English, to be perfectly frank. So for me, the opportunity to work with a choreographer like Justin, who is so pedestrian in nature, he is so invested in the humanity of dance and, uh, and the specificity of connection through movement that I, I just tapped into all of that and sort of let Anita find herself through the movement, uh, which is something that is, I think, rare these days. We don't, we don't make roles like this. Roles like this are number one. Anita in general is not written really anymore, but we, we definitely don't, applaud or or see roles that are steeped in dance and roles that allow dance to be used as storytelling mechanism in this way every day those you know not since really Catherine Zeta-Jones was like the last person to do it in Chicago Mm -hmm. and you know you've not since the days of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and Rita Hayworth Mm -hmm. and Vera Ellen etc 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 did you really did you really get performances like that and Rita Moreno yeah. Yeah. Like, so yeah. with that Jerry Robbins choreography, so I could wax poetic about dance all day long because I love it so much, <laughs> but, um, it, it's such a special treat to be, have been given this opportunity and also to have it received well, because mm. I was really nervous that perhaps the time had come and gone for moments like this. Mm. Well, I'm glad I haven't, but you know, but th- that's an interesting point though, because <sighs> West Side Story is one of those, the original, is one of those movies that many people had that, oh my God, please don't ever touch it, don't ever remake it feeling. You know, like Wizard of Oz is one of those, and The Godfather, and Sound of Music, um, which you so hilariously spoofed on SNL. (laughs) I'm glad Um, you enjoyed that. (laughs) Oh my God, it was so good. We'll come back to that in a minute. But, you know, West Side Story is one of those movies, so when it was announced, it was like, oh no, we're really? But we're like, okay, well, but Steven Mm. Spielberg's doing it. So it feels like it's in good hands. Like, where were you in that camp of like, no, nobody can touch that. Or you were like, well, I- I'll listen to the ideas. I'll hear what they want to do. I, you know, when it comes to the, the matter of remaking or reimagining classics, I prefer the term mm-hmm. reimagining. Um, mm-hmm. I, be- I believe in revivals. We revive shows on Broadway all the time. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. whole point is to infuse them with new energy, new life, and most importantly, new perspective. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what Steven Spielberg wanted to do. So if there's ever an artist that is that is inclined to do that, hit me up. Mm-hmm. Because I, mm-hmm. I think it's important. Classics are meant to be retold. I don't hear people complaining about the fact that we retell Shakespeare every other year with different concepts. Fair. Um, and, and Which it's not, this, of course, is an extension of. It's but, an yeah. extension of. You're, so yeah. I do, don't misunderstand. I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. I mm-hmm. believe in iconic storytelling, like mm-hmm. the 61 film of West Side Story. Jerry Robbins and that creative team deserve all of, of the, I don't know, lore, legend, all of the adjectives mm-hmm. that you can, we, we used to describe them. They are worthy of all of that. And yet, it was not a perfect piece of art. Why? Because no right. piece of art is absolute perfection. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's where I start as a baseline as an artist. So there was always room for improvement. And there are some basics. The fact that you had mm-hmm. brown face in your film. Yeah. 
That's something mm-hmm. that in, in a 2022 reality, there's no need for that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and this was also for me an opportunity to, um, well, for me, for them, for, for our creators to tell this story in a more respectful way um, in regards to representing the uh, Puerto Rican community, which I'm, I'm genuinely very proud of what we have on the screen. So mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah. So that's what I think about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean that your answer there leads me into something else I wanted to ask because then really ultimately what does it mean for you to be an Afro-Latina as part of the main cast of this to to kind of correct those particular imperfections with that movie? It's it is absolutely thus far it is the honor of my career. Because I, and I, I feel this way about the prom as well, when with Alyssa Green in the prom, mm-hmm. but specifically with Anita, I got to put a character on the screen that would have been someone I needed growing up because I mm-hmm. did not have any character in the media that I was consuming at the time that showed me that my identity was valid and real. Mm-hmm. that's why people talk about representation. That's why it matters. Now, it's been actually a really beautiful time for representation. We've se- seen so many articles about young people seeing themselves in Encanto mm-hmm. in, a, in an animated film. You know, all of these like two-year-olds, three-year-olds singing these mm-hmm. songs, seeing, you know, their image in these characters. That's what it's about mm-hmm. because we're from, y- from a young age what you, the media you consume, it matters. So that is why it's important to me that, that young women, young Afro Latinos in general can see themselves in this work. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I'm very proud of that. If, if it all ended tomorrow, at least I did that. You know what I mean? Like that. Well, let's, um, knock on some wood here. <laughs> that's certainly not the case, but I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, no, but you're right. I mean, that's, that's you know, really the ultimate. We all want to be seen, and I'm going to butcher this quote. I can't remember who it's from, but it's essentially a, you know, be be the role model you wish you had yes. growing up. Yeah. Well, yeah. and Rita Moreno, speaking to that quote, be the role model you wish you had, um, she has said Anita was her role model because she didn't have a role model growing up. Right. I have to ask about Rita and working with her, which you actually don't share yeah. that many scenes. But did you get to spend additional time with her, like in, in um, just like music recording in the in the booth? Uh, honestly, Rita and I didn't spend that much time dur- together during this production. Um, we did have a really epic day. Um, Gustavo Duramel was conducting the New York Phil uh, for some of our pre-records, and. Um, Myself, David Alvarez, my gorgeous Bernardo, some of the sharks, Rachel, Ansel, uh, Mike Feist. We all went to, um, I think it was Hammerstein Ballroom. And Rita was there. And she was dressed up. She looked really nice. And I was like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, these like security guards come in. And there's Barack and Michelle. Oh. Obama. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, No gosh. big deal seriously nbd they just had come to watch gustavo do his thing and apparently 
they're the Obamas are friends with with Stephen and his wonderful wife uh, Kate, and we all just hung out. And Rita, that we I think they were rehearsing part of Dance at the Gym, the Mambo, and she was like, "Addy, mm. is it too fast?" Do you think it's too fast? And I was like, actually, I do, Rita. I think it's much. You should say something. You go say something. And I was like, I am. I'm gonna go say something. And then she mm-hmm. like sat there and she watched me and she watched all my hands. She goes, you said something that was good. So it, you know, mm-hmm. there's like these little moments where she would empower me, and then she'd be like, you said something first, and now I'm gonna go say something. <laughs> mm. Yeah, <laughs> um, someone else be first, and then yeah, but but. Uh, but to that point, though, like um, empowering you to use your voice. So, yeah. I mean, that's uh, what we all kind of strive for to, you know, want to be yeah. able to speak up. And, oh, well, yeah. of course, and feel comfortable in the spaces that you're in. I, you know, in the 10 years that I spent on Broadway, I, I found my voice. And so thankfully, coming into this experience, I did already know how to use it. However, the high higher you climb um and the the larger the room that you're in you still get nervous and so to have Mm -hmm. somebody like rita just sort of say no baby girl fly do what Mm -hmm. you do you you will be heard here that she did that for all of us um and that Mm -hmm. is something we i know me and my colleagues will be grateful for until the end of time wow absolutely um (laughs) You are occupying, have occupied a role. I think there's perhaps only two other actors who've done this who, you know, you're up for awards for the same role that somebody else has won for. So there's a really incredible history there. Has she, have you had a chance to speak with her, like, about that aspect of everything that's going on? You know, Rita and I don't wax poetic about the <laughs> awards of it all. Um, yeah. Honestly, when we're together, she's telling stories. In fact, the, we just saw each other for a, a photo shoot recently. And we just, you know, we were like freaking frack talking about theater stories. Shooting the bull. Yeah. Shooting the bull. And she was talking about her time in London when she... Uh, played Norman Desmond in Sunset Boulevard. And I am, mm-hmm. I love that character and I love that show. Mm-hmm. And so to hear her stories, like I was just soaking up all of her energy and, mm-hmm. and, and she, there was such a joy on her face as she was telling these stories. And, mm-hmm. and it, it was, it, that's, that's how we really spend our time and communicate. But I, um, yeah, I don't, it's not that I don't think about the historical implications of, everything that goes on um in regards to this character i just i got to make the movie and it sounds cliche but that was the win because at the end of the day the movie's not going anywhere (laughs) i can't change it (laughs) that's true it's out in the world so um you know i'm proud of i'm proud of the work i'm blown away that i got the, the chance to make the work um, mm-hmm. and, uh, we'll just see what happens. And you know what? I get to spend time with Rita Moreno every once in a while. And yeah. I certainly never um, thought I'd get that. <laughs> I mean, right. When those opportunities come, you don't pass them up, uh, which nope. could be the same for hosting Saturday night live. Um, so now I know you're used to live performance on Broadway on that theater stage, but mm-hmm. 
Does SNL compare in any way, shape, or form? I, okay, Saturday Night Live is its own beast, and it is a beast. Um, but I can tell you, nothing but my Broadway experiences could have prepared me for Saturday Night mm. Live. It's the only thing that prepares you because you are moving in real time. You're making decisions and changes in real time. We started with 40 scripts on a Wednesday, narrowed it down, went into pre-records, rehearsed every sketch, cut some sketches as we're going. Uh, You're working with the writers. People are coming at you all the time. You're just constantly pivoting. And then even during the live show, you're pivoting more. It never stops. And I was like, I must be an adrenaline junkie because I love live performance. And I also just, just because I'm sitting here waxing poetic about it, I have the biggest crushes on every single member of that cast and crew and producing team, Lauren Michaels, all of them, because they're just fabulous creators and really cool people. And they made me feel at home. And that's a really hard thing to do in the context of the beast I was talking about. Mm-hmm. So I'm, yeah, I had fun, and I, I actually genuinely, crazily, stupidly would love to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you got that first hit of adrenaline rush there. Yeah, I mean, uh, but you know, you're talking about having fun though, but it, it also you could tell you were having fun. Like mm-hmm. from the moment you came through that door for that opening monologue, it was like, oh, she's here to play. I and came that energy to party. Character. Came to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to borrow a line from an SNL vet. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that opening monologue. And then with Kate McKinnon, who I was just like, I don't know how Ariana is getting through this right now with her like spinning around on that stool and flying her legs open. And <laughs> Kate McKinnon, Kate McKinnon, Kate McKinnon. She is a legend in her own time, in my opinion. And I've loved her work for such a long time. And I was kind of surprised that they were like, oh, let's, let's have Kate do something with Ari. I was like, what? Uh, not, not because of like more, I didn't even know how to d- finish that sentence. Just more because I was like, why would Kate McKinnon want to do something with me? Because <laughs> she's required to. It's her job. Well, it's her job. So yes, <laughs> she, no, was, yeah. she was dragged kicking and screaming. Absolutely. But <laughs> we ended up having a really lovely time and mm. she's a consummate professional. I learned a lot. She's so just very creative it was really cool to watch her in process we actually laughed i think i might have made her giggle every once in a while and i was like if you can make a comedian of that a porsche epic proportion like Mm -hmm. giggle then like you you're okay you're doing all right in the world um yeah so it was it was i don't know it was an honor clearly i enjoyed it because i won't shut up about it (laughs) <laughs> well then I'll, I'll ask you another question about it then you said you got like 40 there were like 40 scripts on that Wednesday are there any like yeah. characters or any sketches that looking back you're like man I really wish we could have like gotten to do this one do something oh. with this yeah there were a couple actually there was a smoothie sketch with Bo and Yang oh. um, and I'm a big Bowen fan big. I mean there was a, a Judge Steve Harvey skit that Keenan absolutely oh. just killed but that one, I am actually, that will end up on television, I know. Just with a different host and no hard feelings, you guys. <laughs> oh, can't wait to see that. Keenan is just... Uh, oh, iconic. Love him. Love him so much. Yeah, iconic indeed. 
it's been a great joy speaking with you, truly. Um, this has mm. been great. The movie I love so much, and I can't stop talking about your performance. I'm sorry, mm. um, but it's just incredible. So congratulations mm. on that. Thank you. Yeah, and enjoy the rest of this ride as it goes. I'm going to keep breathing in for four, out for four. Thanks for stopping by, Ariana, and thank you, Jared, for that amazing interview. West Side Story is in theaters now and starts streaming on March 2nd on Disney Plus and HBO Max. And that's it for this episode of The Awardist. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave us an award-winning review on Apple Podcasts. To keep the conversation with us going, follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials at EW on Twitter and Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag us at ClarissaNYC1 and Josh Rothkoff. We'll see you next week. This episode of the Awardist podcast is hosted by Clarissa Cruz and Josh Rothkoff, produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio, executive produced by Shana Krokmal, edited and mixed by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.